This podcast was recorded on Saturday, April 21st at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Oh, I think it's, it's beyond squeeze out the NDP. I think they would like the NDP to kind of be squeezed into oblivion. not kid ourselves. This weekend is about the next federal election and the launching pad for that federal election. Nova Scotia Premier Stephen McNeil kicked off the Liberals' 2018 convention and apparently the 2019 campaign. McNeil told the 3,000 delegates gathered in Halifax this weekend that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been changing the face of the country and needs another majority government to ensure that job continues. This is not about power, it's about purpose. The Nova Scotia Premier wasn't the only Liberal rousing up the party volunteers. He's had our backs. And now, more than ever, we need to have his back too. Anna Ganey, the outgoing president of the Liberal Party, told delegates they need to guard and defend Trudeau against a aggressive challenger. We know our opponents will do everything they can to undo the progress for all Canadians that we have worked so hard for. We can't let that happen. Conservatives watched the whole thing bewildered. It's all about we got to have Trudeau's back. What the heck does that mean? Have his back. Let's have the back of Canadian families. Party delegates, however, were all in. Yeah, he's got great hair, but you know, he's got a lot of other great stuff as well. They were also all in with some pretty progressive policies. Number four, the decriminalization of consensual sex work at the sex trade. Number three, address the opiate crisis through a public health approach. Number two, inclusion of mental health services in Medicare and the Canada Health Act. And the number one resolution chosen by delegates implementing universal access to necessary medicines. Time for Pharmacare now. Thank you very much. Yep, you heard right. Registered Liberals voted to loosen Canada's prostitution laws, decriminalize cocaine, heroin, and other hard drugs, and embrace universal pharmacare. Friends, this is liberal business. This is ours to finish, not the NDP. And let's hit the doors in 2019 with pharmacare in our pockets. So where do all these progressive policies leave the NDP? And what does Trudeau think about all this? The Liberals did just vote against Universal Pharmacare in October. I'm Althea Raj, and this is Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. We are coming to you from the Halifax Convention, and it's a packed show. We'll chat about decriminalizing illicit drugs with MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. Listen in to some of the advice David Axelrod, U.S. President Barack Obama's chief strategist, shared with Liberal delegates, and talk about the road to 2019 with New Party President Suzanne Cowan, the Liberals' 2015 campaign digital lead Tom Pitfield, and Trudeau's Director of Policy Michael McNair. Stick around. The Liberals' 2018 convention seemed designed to cut down face-to-face debate and potential confrontation between delegates and cabinet ministers, often captured on TV. 
There were no emergency resolutions, no usual open session for delegates to question members of the government. And because the process favored online discussion, the party's grassroots voted to accept all the resolutions in front of them by 9 a.m. Saturday without one ounce of debate. What the convention offered instead were workshops on mobilizing and getting out the vote. On stage, cabinet ministers trumpeted the government's accomplishments two and a half years into their mandate. Here's Indigenous Services Minister Jane Philpott on boil water advisories. I have these amazing colored spreadsheets all over my office. Every single long-term drinking water advisory is color-coded according to what the issues are and what's holding us back and what needs to get done and what's the plan and who's working on it and what do I need to do to make it happen. And let me tell you, do not let anybody tell you that we are not going to achieve that. They have not seen our government act yet. We are not going to let this go. Outside, 40 protesters voiced their disagreement with the government's approval of the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. They raised concerns over Indigenous rights and the environment. Inside the hall, though, there were a few signs of open disagreement. Wish the government uh, went a different way. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't outright uh, say no, but it, it could have been handled a little bit differently, if you know what I mean. We're under no illusions about how controversial these projects are. Natural Resources Minister Jim Carr needled delegates. I'm glad you were all uncomfortable. Because if nobody experienced discomfort, we advanced nothing and we learned nothing at all. While there were no critical comments over pipeline construction, when it came to policy, organizers had one message. It's not all about Ottawa. It's about you folks coming with resolutions. And that they did. My name is Roya Shidfar. I'm from Beaches East York in Toronto, Ontario. So I'm here at convention because my MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith has inspired me and lots of other young people in my riding to advocate for his policy resolution number two, which essentially takes the opioid crisis and addresses it through a public health approach rather than one that is criminal justice based. So the idea is we have the resources to reallocate money and services to help our society's most vulnerable people um, and use the money that we're currently using to incarcerate people for small possession um, offenses and use that money for addiction and mental health services. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> Hi, my name is Scott Harrison and I'm from Vancouver Island. In my community, I mean it's a bucolic town of roughly 30,000 that's a retirement community. And in first 2016 to the middle of 2017, 20 people died from overdoses. Uh, one of them was a couple in their early 30s and their kids were in the house. Um, if I'm going to go knocking on doors at some point, I want to be able to look people in the eye and say, we did the best we could to make sure this doesn't happen again. So it's something that's going to save lives, even though there will be a political cost. Um, if we don't do what's right, why are we doing this? So I'm Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, I'm the Member of Parliament for Beaches East York, and I'm here at Liberal Convention 2018 to do a number of different things, but I've been active this weekend speaking in support of a National Caucus Policy Resolution to address the opioid crisis through a public health approach. Uh, we have 
Uh, last year alone, over 4,000 Canadians who have died because of the opioid crisis. The year before, almost 3,000 Canadians. But we need new solutions. And at the end of the day, we should treat drug use as a health issue, not as a crime. We should ensure that patients are treated as patients, not as criminals. And there's a model elsewhere, Portugal in particular, but other jurisdictions as well, that have removed the criminal sanction for low-level possession to stop stigmatizing the very people we want to help. And that approach works. The health minister this week, and she's repeated it at convention, said that Canada is not Portugal. We're a big country, many jurisdictions. This is not a model that's going to work here, although the justice minister has said she's open to listening. What's your takeaway from how the government feels, noting that the prime minister has already come out and said he's against this? For the moment, it's not in our plans to move forward with So I think it's really important, that idea of listening, and it's important also to take the evidence seriously. And so if our National Caucus has prioritized this idea, and if coming out of this convention the grassroots prioritizes this idea as well, I think it's incumbent on the government to take the evidence seriously, to consult across the board with experts who support this idea. The Canadian Mental Health Association has come out in support of this. There are past prime ministers and presidents, former Secretary General of the UN, all part of the Global Commission on Drug Policy, who support this idea and have studied this issue in depth and have published reports. And I think if our government is committed to the grassroots, is committed to the evidence, uh, we're likely to see a change in view, and we're likely to see a view that adopts more progressive policy to save lives. Can you walk us through how this policy can be adopted by the National Caucus if the government is opposed to it? We had, in advance of the convention, we had, in the same way young liberals submit ideas, different regions submit ideas, National Caucus had an opportunity to submit ideas. I forget exactly how many. There were a number of dozen ideas that were put forward, and this was one before us, and we had an opportunity to prioritize our top three, and this was in the top three, so that's how it came to the floor. But I think it is important to know that there's support from a number of different quarters. This isn't just coming from one part of the party. It's not just coming from one riding association, coming from one member of parliament. There are a lot of voices that are lined up behind this idea. Um, and just earlier this week, we had former liberal leader Bob Ray endorse the idea. So there's a, there are a lot of voices in support. Um, and even if there weren't voices in support, I mean, this is the right answer. And we should be committed to following right answers where we can find them, especially where they can have such a fundamental impact on people's lives. Your resolution, the resolution you just uh, spoke to at convention here, is one of many resolutions that seem to be um, more progressive than the vast majority of resolutions we've seen at previous liberal conventions. That might just be because there are actually fewer resolutions that are being debated or brought to the floor. What is the message that you're taking away from convention 2018 about where the party is? It's funny to frame this sort of as a progressive issue, and perhaps that is in the current context of political parties and uh, the left-right divide, but I can say when I speak to conservative MPs one-on-one, -on -one, there's, there's support for this idea because it's grounded in the evidence, grounded in compassion and saving lives. Certainly when I've written about this issue previously and spoken about this issue previously, I've had conservatives in different parts of the country write to me and say, I support this idea even though I'm a conservative. And I think it's unfortunate in some ways that conservatism, particularly under the previous administration, has become synonymous with this ideology opposed to harm reduction. Uh, it's unfortunate that conservatism took insight all the way to the Supreme Court only to have the Supreme Court say you can't shut this down. Its benefits have been proven. It saves lives. And I think there are a lot of progressive conservatives out there who support evidence-based decision-making and compassionate decision-making and would like to see policies like this move forward. Do you think the party's resolutions should be binding on the government? I don't know that the resolution should be binding. I mean, we have a process 
uh, as it is, and I am not responsible for that process anyway. I did not implement the process, and it's been a long-standing process, so I don't want to uh, comment on on that too much. Other than to say, I think it, if it's adopted by the grassroots then I think it's incumbent on the government to take it very seriously, review the evidence, and to, in good faith, make sure that if they are declining to pursue such an idea, they're not, they're not making that decision based on politics, but they're making that decision based on evidence. But that, let us deal with the politics at the grassroots level. And if the liberal membership wants this, and we believe that at the doorstep we can sell this, uh, then I think it's important to leave that question up to us and leave the review of evidence and consultation with experts up to the government as they pursue something like this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith is the Liberal Member of Parliament for Beaches East York. While a number of the delegates told us they would like to see resolutions be binding on the party's leadership... (laughs) Uh, Yes, I do. I do indeed. Yeah, I, I do believe they should be binding because um, if you're going to run on something, it should be full through. You know what I mean? Like, don't make like, a half promise or something. MPs, however, told us they like the flexibility of non-binding resolutions. This is just one of those voices. Hi, it's, uh, my name is Bill Casey. I'm the member of Parliament for Cumberland Colchester. I look at these motions as things to discuss. And uh, if you look back at previous uh, resolutions in, in several parties I've been in, uh, it takes a long time for an idea to become uh, solid and, and become, become part of government policy. So I, I welcome all resolutions and ideas. And some of them will drop off by the wayside, some will be carried on. But some of the things we see have happened over the years started off as an idea which seemed to be completely out of sync with everything, and but over the years and uh, meetings, they become more practical and more sensible, and they're adopted. And we've seen a lot in the last few years: assisted dying, gay marriage, and, st- and so on, and LBGT uh, rights. I mean, they're, they're, it's an evolution. Nothing happens fast in politics. I find it, it's, it's an evolution. Bill Casey is a Liberal member of Parliament from Nova Scotia. He was previously an Independent MP. He was also a Conservative MP who was thrown out of Stephen Harper's caucus for voting against the government. And even before that, he was a Progressive Conservative MP. Decriminalizing illicit drugs is an idea NDP leader Jagmeet Singh championed during his leadership bid last year. A universal pharmacare plan in Canada is an NDP proposal too, and one they chose just two months ago as a key platform commitment. Other policies the Liberals endorsed on Saturday, including pension protection, tougher action on tax havens, signing the UN ban on nuclear weapons, and an environmental bill of rights, seemed ripped straight out of the NDP policy book. So why is the party tacking left? Regularly, the the Liberals still enjoy a healthy lead in the national polls. What now? Is it changing? Uh, Yeah, it absolutely is changing. Its approval rating has dropped to a new low, and if a federal election were held tomorrow, the Conservatives would win convincingly. The poll shows 56% of Canadians surveyed feel the Liberals have fallen short of expectations, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's approval rating has dropped to 44%. A lot more Canadians 
than we had seen in the first two and a half years were questioning their support for the prime minister. It was the first time I think people uh, maybe looked at him, looked at the government and said, maybe they aren't the best choice. David Coletto, CEO, Abacus Data. I don't think they're in trouble. I think, you know, if you look at the, the regional numbers, um, they're, they're still strong in areas they need to be. Um, I think if you look at their opponents' numbers, this is not an embrace of Andrew Scheer. It's not an embrace of Jagmeet Singh or of Elizabeth May. Their numbers haven't really moved at all. What it is is the government making uh, some mistakes, perhaps. Certainly the prime minister not uh, living up to the image he had set for himself that has, has at least demonstrated they're not invincible. Young people with millennials, I, I don't think the problem is them preferring the liberals over the conservatives. I think they have a natural advantage there. It's whether they're motivated, excited to come out and vote in the first place. And so things like electoral reform, while, you know, if you asked millennials, is it, is it a priority? It's going to be near the bottom of the list. It, it angered some activists and some people who cared a lot about it. Pipelines and climate change speak to another group. If you keep alienated small but sizable groups of voters from that core coalition, eventually you run out of voters to support you. And so I think they need to get back on to what is the core, what is the core reason we're governing, that we want to continue to govern. And at the end of the day, my, my understanding of, uh, of public opinion is it comes down to what are you doing for me? And the first few years were good because they gave lots of goodies out. What have they done for me lately? Is I think a message I'm hearing, not just for millennials, but broadly for a lot of people. It was as close as a five-point race just a few weeks ago, and now the Liberals have opened up a lead. It looks like the very controversial and high-profile trip to India, uh, where the Liberals did take a hit, it looks like that's behind them. Nick Nanos, the president of Nanos Research. I think the big challenge for the Liberal is that, you know, when you look from a polling perspective, they obviously say the right things on most of the big issues. Uh, but... It takes more than saying the right things. They need to deliver on them because come the next election, there will be an accounting where people will say, okay, you promised to help the middle class. Can you give us examples of how you uh, have helped the middle class? You're going to create prosperity. How have you created uh, prosperity? You're going to manage the books. How has that happened? So I think for the liberals, probably what they're looking at is what will we have delivered on by the time the next election comes? And that's probably why they might be a little nervous. The reality is, is that for the Liberals, uh, their main path to victory is to be the consolidated voice for progressive voters in Canada. Uh, and it speaks to why they are always very sensitive to the activities of the New Democrats and their leader. You know, for the Liberals, their best chance is to tilt to the left and tell all those NDP voters that have progressive policies, hey, do you know what? You don't have to be the outside non-governing party to realize some of your dreams the Liberal Party of Canada, the new progressive Liberal Party of Canada, is a home where a progressive policy can be advanced and you can make a difference by voting Liberal instead of New Democrat. It won't come as any surprise to people that I uh, deeply believe that we are and should be a progressive party. Well, as you can imagine, the NDP had some choice words for the Grits who seem intent on eating their lunch again. Guy Caron, I'm uh, the NDP parliamentary leader. Uh, Monsieur Caron, are you at all worried that the Liberals are encroaching on your territory? Well, I'm not, and I'm not uh, surprised either, because that's always what they do. I mean, 
looking at the convention now where we're debating universal pharmacare, even though liberals are voting against universal pharmacare in the House, then we have uh, a UN ban on, uh, agreeing with the UN ban on nuclear weapons, even though they vote against it in the House. Basic income is an interesting one because they voted in favor once again of moving towards a pilot program on basic income which is what they voted for in 2012, in 2014, and now again, except that when I introduce a motion to study basic income in the Finance Committee, just study it, liberals vote it down. So that's exactly what they do all the time, which is to give the feeling to progressives that they are still progressives, but their actions are not, uh, are not really consistent with what they are voting for. Another example is, is when in 2016 they actually, at convention, voted for proportional representation. How did that finish? <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a lot of anger here, though, about electoral reform. Uh, maybe not, but in 2016, there were lots of anger. People wanted, really wanted liberals to actually go move in that direction. They haven't. And thing with uh, the base of uh, the Liberal Party compared to the base of the NDP, for example, is they don't seem to be putting lots of pressure for them to, to move in that direction. When they don't fulfill a commitment, either a an electoral commitment or something coming out of convention, there's no follow-up, there's no pressure, there's no pushback. Uh, so liberals are still, as government, going to, to go where they feel they can get the most votes. And that's pretty much how they decide to uh, on their strategy. Basically, they're not looking to implement uh, a vision as much as trying to strategize to keep power. But can you really say that about like legalizing marijuana? For example, I think a lot of people, and I'm going to say myself included, uh, wrote about this policy as a way of gaining votes from young Canadians and people who were non-voters to the polls and also uh, British Columbia voters who were highly favorable of the idea. But the government is falling through on that pledge. Well, I would say nothing is black or white. I mean, in this case, you're right. They have they have gone in, in that direction. Um, even though there is some problems with the implementation of it with the provinces and the help that they failed to provide to the provinces to be ready and the fact that they haven't decriminalized so we still are sending people not necessarily in jail but at least with a, a criminal record but yes you're right in that instance they have moved in that direction but in many other instances they haven't so every rule has its exceptions. Guy Caron is a Quebec MP and the NDP's parliamentary leader. And if there's one thing, and only one thing, that we've learned about the Conservative Party under Mr. Scheer, it's this. It may be Andrew Scheer's smile, but it's still Stephen Harper's party. That was Prime Minister Justin Trudeau criticizing his primary opponent. Then moments later, Trudeau said this. Positive politics means you fight for your ideas you don't demonize your opponents. After delivering his campaign-style speech, Trudeau made his way to the basement of the convention center to take questions from reporters. After ragging on Scheer, the Prime Minister was asked about his sunny ways. Um, I'm just wondering, you talked about sunny ways in your speech and then at the same time went after Andrew Scheer very hard. And I'm wondering how you reconcile those two things. How do you define positive, um, a positive attack, if I can put it that way. I have always been very, very clear uh, that not attacking the individual, that talking about policies uh, and making very clear the differences in both approach 
and uh, perspective on what's in Canadians' interests uh, is what a political party needs to do. Highlighting that uh, Andrew Scheer continues to stand against our uh, common sense gun, gun uh, laws is uh, something that I will not shy away from. Asking questions about uh, why or whether he still stands by what he said in the leadership campaign, that we should have uh, larger magazines uh, available for uh, gun owners. Uh, these are the kinds of things that uh, is important to bring up so Canadians can make informed choices when they get to the ballot box next year as they reflect on the direction the country wants to go in. It was billed as a serious conversation between U.S. President Barack Obama's chief strategist, David Axelrod, and the man who does the same job for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, his principal secretary, Gerald Butts. What had happened in the 1999 election when the McGuinty team lost to, uh, sorry, the Prime Minister's giving me holding, Mike Holding uh, advice here. Uh, what it... And of course he's right. <laughs> um, good to have good staff. Exactly. <laughs> Jokes aside, this is some of the advice Axelrod shared with Team Trudeau. Maybe you'll recognize some similar themes. I think that every campaign, successful campaign, when they're at their best are built around the authentic person leading uh, and, uh, and, and, and they also speak to um, the real life concerns that people have. And that, that was true in that campaign. Um, it's true certainly in 2015 here. It was true in, in our campaigns. Um, I think, you know, people wanna know that you're authentically connected with them, their lives, and that you view this not as a, a power grab, but as an opportunity to get things done that might, might help them. That is not to say um, that campaigns um, should ignore their opponents. It's not to say, you know, to my, in my view, campaigns are choices. And particularly, I mean, you're entering a, a re-election um, and uh, you're in the middle of a project here, a progressive project that's been uh, very productive but has many pages to turn. Uh, there are going to be other there will be other parties who uh, charted or offer a different path. Uh, I think it's important that people know what the choices are yeah. and what path they're choosing. And I, it would be derelict, as it was would have been for us in 2012 in the U.S., not to make sure that people understood what the choices were. That is not to say that the politics of destruction are the way to go, that personal attacks, caustic attacks, politics, frankly, that we've seen too much of in the US uh, of late um, is the way to go either. So let me ask you a question on that front because this is in some ways a, a bit of a parlor game for people involved in politics. What in your- Who are view, always involved in parlor games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, what in your view constitutes an attack ad? What crosses the line? Well, look, I mean, anytime, anytime you mention the opposition party or an opponent, someone's going to call it an attack ad. Um, 
I, I, I consider it uh, ads that are um, personal in nature, uh, that um, are um, sort of extraneous in some ways, that, that, that try and plumb, you know, resentment in ways that, you know, we've seen that can be effective. Um, I, you know, I don't favor that. I, I, what I favor is um, if you're going to engage, engage on, uh, on a factual basis and engage on, on a contrast that, you know, I, I mean, I look at this party and I think that it is a party that is genuinely engaged in this project of trying to figure out how to strengthen the middle class and working families and expand opportunity in a time of revolutionary changes in our economy. That is a really worthy project and every other campaign needs to be held up against that. You know what we both wanted to have for lunch? McDonald's. Chicken nuggets. Yeah. We have a secret no. sort of a thing. During the leadership mm -hmm. campaign, we would like call each other on the phone and be like, where are you? He's like, I just, I'm going through the drive-thru. I'm like, I'm just at the end of the block at the McDonald's. I Only think it's where night. we had our emotional breakdowns. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tom Pitfield. I was the chief digital strategist uh, to the Liberal Party and Justin Trudeau in the 2015 campaign. Uh, I am president of Canada 2020 and data sciences. Hi, I'm uh, Suzanne Cowan. I'm the incoming president of the Liberal Party of Canada, and I uh, ran uh, advertising and debate in the last campaign and was uh, the DCOM working with Tom uh, on the uh, leadership. So we're also waiting for Mike McNair, who's currently briefing the prime minister before his press conference with reporters. Mike was in charge of policy in the yes, 2015 campaign and still does that in the Prime Minister's office right now. I wanted to bring you guys here together because we don't really hear sometimes from the people behind the scenes um, who are actually doing most of the grunt work um, about what this convention actually means. And from our perspective, you know, sitting in the bleachers, this convention almost seems like an NDP convention because our focus has been so much on what the policy resolutions coming forward are. And as we record this, I should note to the listener that we don't actually know what the 15 priority resolutions are yet. We have a generally good idea because there was no debate whatsoever on the floor this morning. Everybody agreed with each other on the top 20. But do you guys get a sense that the grassroots is moving the party to the left? I think that we have had actually a huge amount of debate. And, and I think that the thing with this convention that people maybe aren't used to is that our whole policy process going into it was very different. We, we uh, you know, we opened it up. Uh, we did a lot of online work. Uh, you know, over 6,000 people commented online. So some of those people, and then I think 1,200 voted in advance of getting here. And then we had online voting last night to take it down from 30 to 20. So I think a lot of the debate that maybe people might have been expecting or seen at previous conventions 
was uh, was happening outside of the convention floor. So I, I think uh, I would respectfully disagree about the amount of engagement that's happened on the resolutions. And I, and I'm I'm very interested to see uh, to see what happens, what where we end up uh, going forward uh, with the 15 when 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 they are announced later, and 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 how we work that into the uh, platform process for the next election. But when you look at the resolutions that were being discussed this morning, who made it through that weeding out process? You know, like we had decriminalizing small amounts of illicit drugs. We had universal access to pharmacare. We had uh, policies on pension protection. We had uh, banning bulk water export and commercialization. We had signing the UN um, nuclear ban. These are all policies that could easily find themselves and actually in some cases find themselves in the NDP policy book. We're used to young liberals pushing the party in a direction that sometimes uh, some delegates feel slightly uncomfortable. We saw that with prostitution. We saw that with legalizing marijuana. Um, But this seems like, I don't know why, maybe because there are fewer resolutions so that the spotlight is more on these, but there does seem to be more of a shift to the left. And maybe that's a shift that has started under this leader. I think we've tried to build a a party together that is not uh, rigidly focused on a dichotomy that we learned from the last campaign there are a lot of ways to connect with voters uh, and that they don't necessarily see as a left-right thing. So I'm actually kind of proud that that's coming through in this convention. Um, I think also, I'm biased, I'm excited to see it happen even before convention. Sometimes conventions can be a heavier way of doing policy. Actually felt a lot lighter to me than conventions in the past. In terms of whether the party itself is moving left, leadership is moving left, uh, I think that we're trying to listen to Canadians and if that is where Canadians are taking us, uh, there's a good chance that that's where we'll we'll end up. Yeah. That's the kind of party we want to be. I mean, that is in principle what a movement is, right? We listen to the people who are taking us somewhere. I think it's just funny that um, I guess what we're so used to seeing is that you know, number one mic yeah. for number one mic against, and this like last minute behind the scenes, like oh, you suggest an amendment, and then I will move my resolution, and we'll merge them together, and then so you don't have that sort of excitement about it. But you do have, maybe policy discussion becomes less of a focus at convention because everyone has sort of taken that conversation outside. And instead, what you do have, though, is, I would say, perhaps more pressure on the party leadership to actually adopt these resolutions, because now there's so much weight behind them. Maybe that's a dangerous thing for party leadership looking at items like decriminalizing small amounts of drugs. I would say that 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 pressure, uh, that's a legitimate uh, um, comment. I, I think that there has been, because we've talked so much about all the work that things that have gone on, and I'm not so necessarily saying that that uh, as we move to the through the platform process and, and the next election that, that everything in there will, will end up there, but there's absolutely, probably, and Tom, I'd be interested in what your thoughts are, be, be definitely a more, uh, potentially more um, serious discussion in that in that room and in those rooms in the policy development are about these for exactly the reasons that you've identified. I I, I think that's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, I think what we have is options, and now the question is, uh, where will the leadership of the party uh, end of uh, the prime minister uh, go with it? I mean, I, I think again, it's not uh, we're going into a campaign in a year and a half. We got to start figuring out what the issues are going to be in that campaign. 
and better that we are uh, agreed uh, as a party uh, than go into it uh, still debating what we stand for. And uh, yeah, actually, I think it is the case that there's a lot more pressure on the leadership to decide um, what the right policies are to adopt at this time for this campaign. And I think that's a good thing. And me too. So much of this convention's focus has been on mobilization and this volunteer army. Um, you really felt like you're almost like shoving them out the door to like go knock on doors. Um, <laughs> we are. <laughs> but there's also this idea of having the prime minister's back. We kept hearing that repeated. Anna Ganey on Thursday talked about that. Uh, Stephen McNeil talked about that. Sophie Grégoire Trudeau on Friday talked about that. Um, Ralph Goodale mentioned uh, people having the prime minister's back again. Why is there so much focus on needing to have the prime minister's back? Is this an anticipation of a pretty negative campaign that's about to start? Well, as a campaigner, I would say we made an investment into the leader in the first campaign, and he was representative of the movement and remains representative of the movement. And so I think if our opposition are going to try and damage what we've worked on, then the quickest and simplest route to that is through the leadership. And I think they've demonstrated that in the degree to which they aren't really attacking us on our policies, and they're not really attacking the party, they are attacking the leader. And of course, we'll have his back. I think that's what movements do. They see in their leader themselves and their beliefs and their hopes and their dreams. And when they attack the leader, they're, they defend themselves. Yeah, no, and I, and I would say as well, you know, um, I've, I've said over and over over the last few months is that, you know, he's going to do a great job. He always does. He was excellent in 15. He's a strong, uh, genuine person. Uh, and, and he has good ideas and people really connect with him. And, and what we need to do is, is support that with what we're doing on the ground. So, you know, I think one of the was having his back is also by having his back by working just as hard as he is because he's going to work really, really hard. He's, I mean, Tom and I, he's, it's exhausting yeah, watching yeah. him, how hard he works. Yeah. I mean, we all work hard, but he works harder. And, and what I was focusing on in, in my remarks is that we need to work equally as hard. So that we can have his back, so that we can we can win this. You know, we're we're getting a head start right here today. I think everybody's feeling a little charged up and ready to go, yeah. which is great. I mean, we started what three years on before the last one, so we're actually a year and a half late on this one. Central to what our campaign will be in in nineteen is is pushing forward on the progressive positive message. I mean, we already saw the prime minister today talk about. Andrew Scheer, the conservative leader, as Stephen Harper. Like, it seems like you guys want to run 2015 again because it was, well, one, it was great for you, but also because people really hated Stephen Harper. Even conservatives had enough of him and they wanted to throw him out. And now, you know, he spent five minutes talking about Andrew Scheer being just like Stephen Harper. Is it five minutes? Oh, yeah, 30 seconds. There, was, there was that <laughs> setup about Scheer's smile and. Stephen Harper's mood not being responsible for yeah. But I think if you drill down on what he was saying, I mean, absolutely, he did, <clears throat> excuse me, reference him, but I think he was talking about the policies of that party. He was talking about the what, getting back to what we were able to do that that, that government uh, was was unwilling to do in advance. So I think I think that's a fair point that that has less to do with the leader and more to do with 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 that with that government and how we need to be. We can't forget, you know, what was happening 
two and a half, three years ago versus where we are now. And and that's one of the things that we will continue to to remind Canadians of is we can't go backwards. I think the biggest focus for me as the incoming president and in all this and, and for Tom and for, you know, McNair, who never showed up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, here he is, uh, is really uh, just getting the organization off the ground, getting people starting today to go back to their uh, their their home provinces and their home ridings and and light a fire under their their local uh, volunteers there and get them off the ground. That's the that's the biggest challenge. But but uh, we're up for it. And you know we 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 have we spoke about it earlier. We have the organization and we have the tools and the training to do it. So we we just need to do it. So I'm going to let Suzanne go because she needs to uh, be involved in a bylaw review resolution change. Yes. See, Something debate and discussion on yes. the floor. <laughs> Only about the party's constitution. About our open constitution, yes. More open and inclusive than ever before. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Suzanne. And Mike McNair is here. Hi, Althea. Okay, well, just adjust your microphone. In the last election, um, it was easy to identify certain, you know, what policies would be attractive to whom. And then we got a better sense of who were potential liberal voters. What policies are available to whom now, or where does the party need to go in order to get perhaps a new batch of voters it doesn't have currently? It's difficult to answer a question in terms of thinking of it as targeting a segment or a demographic. I actually don't think that works for the Liberal Party. I think the Liberal Party is at its best when it has a large national vision that is inclusive of all Canadians and all Canadians are inspired by it. And I think if we succeed, sorry, if we succeed in that, uh, and people like Tom can help us tell that story and help us engage with people and uh, through all forces, forms of communication, tell people what we want to do. That is how we're successful in politics, and uh, so that's what we're going to try to do again. Do you think the next campaign will be more aggressive than what we saw in 2015? Aggressive? You have to. Well, I'm just using Jerry Buss's words from the speech yesterday, but he talked about um, with Axelrod that he thought he was you guys were going to face an aggressive opponent. Well, I'll, I'll say a couple things. I think in terms of things that I think might feel different in 2019 versus 2015, and every election is different. And obviously, you've, you've covered several, you know, and you know how each one evolves from the other. And I also agree with Tom's assessment that our opponents will have learned things in terms of our campaign. And the trick for us is to make sure that we've also learned things from our campaign and are able to uh, mount an even stronger one in 2019, an even more ambitious one in 2019. I think to your part of what you're driving at your question is just some of the, the digital communication changes that are different. You know, and think about, you know, we can think about 2011 versus 2015 in terms of the importance of social media, how much that changed. And, you know, I think you'll see a, a difference in 2019 as well. But it also has been a vehicle for our opponents to, to send a message. Uh, and um, and opponents um, probably define, I don't simply mean um, the Conservative Party, of course, I mean also those who have used social media um, with alt-right agenda elsewhere to speak against some of the policies that our government believes in. And I think that uh, identifies with a lot of Canadian values. And um, so we're mindful of that. Uh, we are going to channel as much uh, energy and intensity into sharing our positive message and part of the point of that conversation that Jerry and David Axelrod had yesterday is that positive politics can work. And positive politics uh, 
is defined as a, again how I define it is a competition of ideas where you actually believe that if we if you have a whole bunch of hardworking uh, volunteers and people across the country motivated by wanting to make the country a better place and are armed with a platform that uh, would give reality to those values, you can win. You don't have to descend to your opponent's level. Are you going to tell us one policy that you think that you should be in the platform from all this engagement? <laughs> Good question. Good question. Uh, as you know, platform is not something that uh, we talk about uh, too much. We She's just asking for your opinion, Mike. Exactly. I, <laughs> well, I will say there's been fantastic resolutions put forward, and uh, as you will have seen from past conventions, many of those resolutions then translate into party policy. And because we were successful in 2015, that party policy became government policy, and hopefully, we get to do that again. What's your favorite policy? Oh, that it's currently before the floor. I'm not actually going to answer that question. The reason why I'm not to <laughs> Althea is that they're still voting underway, uh, and the this the, is not being broadcast. The <laughs> well, just in case nice you tell try. anyone, uh, so we are going to see the final results of the voting tally, and I look forward to looking at those 15 chosen resolutions. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you, Althea. Suzanne Cowan is the Liberal Party of Canada's new president. Mike McNair is the Prime Minister's Director of Policy and was in charge of policy for the 2015 campaign. Tom Pitfield was the digital lead for the Trudeau campaign in 2015. He is the president of Canada 2020 and runs a company called Data Sciences. Majority says it's the end of our show, and you're darn certain that's binding. Please let us know what you think of it or send us your ideas. You can reach me on Twitter or Facebook at Althea Raj, A-L-T-H-I-A-R-A-J is my handle. This episode is produced with the indispensable help of my fine colleagues, Zian Lam and technical producer, Stephanie Warner. Andre Lau is our executive producer. I'm Althea Raj. Thanks for listening. Goodbye from Halifax.